Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Today my guest is Jerskin Fendrix. And now, you might not be familiar with Jerskin. He had a debut album a few years ago, Winter Riser, that got a lot of attention, but I'm talking to him primarily about his debut film score, which is for the new Yorgos Lanthimos film, Poor Things. And it's always cool talking to a debut film composer, listening to their debut scores, because often they can come at things from a different direction. And I think that's very much what Jerskin did here. It's a very interesting score. He started working on it well before the film really hit production principal photography. I think it works very well, both in the film and as a standalone listen. Very unique, very distinct. And now this is a little bit of a quicker interview, so we don't veer as much off of talking about the film and his score, but of course we still do, and unfairly I hit Jerskin with a couple of larger abstract questions, and when you don't see those coming, they'll catch you by surprise. And I think he has some social media websites, you can find out more about him, you can do the same for me. I have one more episode coming out this year before we get into January, business as usual, briefly. That'll be next week. And then I think sometime in January, I'll be taking a little break. But luckily, I've left you with enough to chew on and listen to until then. Now sit back, and I hope you enjoy. Jerskin, thank you so much for joining me today. How have you been? Uh, I've been good. Thanks so much, Nicholas. How are you? I'm doing all right. It was... Uh... I'll say it's it's always fun seeing a new Lanthimos movie. Poor Things was no exception. Exciting to hear him working with a composer. So on that note, it's your first time scoring a film. What did you do to prepare for that process or that project? Yeah, it's a good question. I wasn't really given much of an opportunity to prepare. I was kind of just thrown in. We started... Quite early on, uh, Yorgos got in touch with me about six months before principal photography began. So we had a chat about what he thought the film should be, what it was kind of about. Not too much instruction, really. And then he just handed me the script. I also got this really amazing document of all the concept art and the set designs. And obviously, it's an extremely visually striking film. So that was an amazing companion to the script just to get a sense of how it would feel in the cosmetic regard. And then I just started writing a bunch of music based on how I felt about the script, how I felt about the characters, what I was emotionally drawn to. I think as a composer and as a songwriter as well, I'm very steered by emotion more than anything else. And of course, yeah, the, the aesthetic aspect of it kind of gave me the freedom to play with sounds and orchestration in a very unusual and provocative manner. But really, it was just running with the emotional suggestion of Tony's script. This is going to get an attention. I didn't want to get to this early. But talking about emotion, I was listening to your debut album, album Winter Riser, which came out a couple years ago. It was one track in particular that really struck me, Oh God, which seems very at least listen to it, it's very expressive, seems very personal. And obviously, there's a difference doing an, an album of your own music versus scoring somebody else's project. But were you still able to express yourself or that sort of 
personal aspect that you do in, in some of those solo songs into the score as well? Yeah, it's a it's a really good point. So much of the work I've done up until this film has been autobiographical in one way or another, either really literally or just coming from my own experience of the world. And when you're faced with a character such as Bella in Poor Things, it's the time period and other stuff aside, it's just such an alien proposition to try and put yourself in that mind. And I think that mind troubles to put it struggles to put itself into that mind. So I spent a lot of time reflecting on the script and reflecting about how Bella might be feeling at certain points in the story. And I had to kind of go back to my own development and think about how I might have reacted to stuff as a teenager and as a child and these and try and find this emotional parallel. And it's a hard balance trying to do that without, you know, inflicting your own experience or trying to, it doesn't want to be as literal as saying this, oh, this reminds me of that. So I'll write about that. But there's a point of empathy you have to get to. And it was part of my job as well. I mean, music's such a emotionally suggestive part of films. And I think just due to the nature of it and how quickly it infiltrates the limbic system, it was my responsibility, perhaps more than some of the other craft mm. departments, to actually really be able to drive in the emotional interior of the characters, Bella especially. So yeah, it was an interesting challenge to try and work that out, I think. And I think especially doing that in a quite surreal landscape as well. Both the costumes, the production, the world we're inhabiting, and then the music choices and, and the way that you're driving some of these instruments are particularly unusual. And so to be able to have that emotional connection amidst all of that had to have been fairly challenging. Yeah, but it was also a thing that kind of kept me in check. I mean, it's a weird film and it's a beautiful film. And there's just such easy license to come up with a score, which is either very kind of uh, expressionist and, and surreal or one that is just out and out bizarre for the sake of being bizarre. And every time I kind of ended up going in either of those directions, the litmus test was basically, am I, is this moving me in the gut? Is this really, you know, am I feeling what's being expressed on screen rather than just providing something ornamentative? So I think it was actually, you know, I, I found it really helpful that the characters and the script provided such a clear and resonant emotional content. I think it would have been harder to do without. And because you came on so early, had those brief initial discussions, and then are going off of script and concept art and aspects like that. What were your subsequent conversations with Yorgos after you were sending him some of that initial music? Yeah, I mean, they weren't the most complicated discussions. A lot of the time it was more of a yes or no thing. The way Yorgos directs is really unique and really powerful and brave in a lot of ways that he basically finds artists who he trusts and then just lets them run with whatever he's not there in the back seat kind of saying oh maybe this synth should be more like this or maybe this should be whatever it gives you a really great deal of freedom and that actually motivates you i think to come up with something with a lot more vision and a lot more comprehensively fulfilled than if you had a director who was, you know, you knew would be making changes or suggesting stuff and trying to help you along. It, yeah, the agency really forces you to actually work a lot harder and come up with stuff, I think, that's a lot more accomplished. And without that, let's say, constant oversight, how were you self-monitoring to make sure that, you know, you weren't going too far afield in any particular direction or sort of 
getting away from from the script, the emotion, the characters. Yeah, I mean, again, I've not this is the, my first time working with Yorgos, and I think there was some the first couple of months of sending stuff to him were a little furtive, and I was kind of thinking, you know, oh, is this going to be trying to work out what the boundary was and sending him weirder and weirder stuff and and kind of seeing like 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 you know what what's the point where he you know puts his foot down and says says that this is this is too far this is inappropriate it never really happened i kept pushing and pushing and i was at some point i was really expecting him to say like oh come on this is you know there's no way we could we could we could put this in a fucking film and then he put all of it in the film he put the weirdest stuff in the film so yeah so far i've not i've not actually been met with a boundary to be honest so that was uh, surprising. Now that you can see it from the film, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like you know. There's no part of it that feels like Yorgos has asked anyone to dial it in. It's. It's. You know. It's absurd. <laughs> oh, and and that's absolutely true. When I saw it, I was. I had heard things about the score from people that had seen it in the festival circuit beforehand, and it still surprised me. And just it's. It's very much out there and fits very well. In that sense, is there a part of you that wishes you'd have kept pushing further, knowing now that he included even the weirdest moments of your score in there? I think we got the balance. I think we got the balance. There may be some people who argue we 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 already overtipped the balance by quite a long distance. I'm really pleased with where it sits, and I think it took a while for me to work out how to have that balance of basically matching the aesthetic oddness of the sound versus trying to keep something that was emotionally affecting and intuitive. So, no, no, I wouldn't, I have no regrets. I wouldn't change it for the world. Good, good. And you had mentioned briefly in there that you weren't sure what music would actually end up making it. I think that's because in this process you were recording music beforehand and that I think your ghost was incorporating it editing the film to your music is that how the process went yeah more or less the vast majority of music like 95 percent of it was written entirely before the filming had even started never never mind before i'd seen it i'm aware as well that he wanted on set there to be this real sense of immersion for the cast especially and also for himself so he was you know using a lot of the score i'd written to play on set and these really you know immersive completely integrated built uh, soundstage sets and so having the sound having the visuals having it all feel as if you're you are very much living in the film's universe was really important to him and i think that probably affected then how he thought about each section how he decided to cut certain sequences based on just his memory i guess of where the music was in certain parts of the film and yeah there's obviously a process of you know there's some fine tuning and music editing for certain pieces but yeah, overall, it was a really interesting abstraction to be able to not have to write a piece of music for a certain scene or a certain motivation. It was a, it was just a lot of stuff inspired by different parts of Bella's journey and inspired by this very, very rich world. It does allow you to be a lot more, um, yeah, just come up with a lot more fully formed pieces, more honest pieces that are, you know, not just stuff that's kind of built for function, as it often is with film scores. Can you expand on that a little bit, talking about the idea of that allowing you to create what you'd call more honest pieces? Ooh, honesty. Um, yeah, honesty is a really interesting word in art, because art's in some ways inherently dishonest, or at least fictional films are. 
part of the process I go through for writing this sort of thing is unusual. It involves a lot of research and a lot of things come out of the research, which is kind of difficult to explain logically. A lot, a lot of it is a very abstract, but there's a lot of intuition involved in it as well. And I think honesty is somewhat tied up with the intuition. So there's that aspect of it. In terms of the final music, I don't know if there's a way that the music could have been dishonest, but there's a certain direction the music could have gone that would have made you look at the characters as if they were kind of in a terrarium and you're looking at Bella as if she's in a glass box and there's some level of objectivity, not even objectivity, just a sense of being an outsider to it and viewing something as a spectacle. Mm. And the further in you can get, if you can get close, we can get it within that box. You can like, you know, be in the same room as Bella and then you can like be really close to her and you can smell her and then you can get inside her head and it becomes less objective, but it becomes more honest from a musical point of view because objective music is more dishonest. And actually, I think the sort of music where you're really being forced at gunpoint to empathize by making something that's kind of so heart-wrenching or so kind of raw or unpolished and unobjective that you're forced to be within the same psychological space as the character, paradoxically, it kind of creates its own sort of honesty, I'd say. Hmm. It's interesting because you do hear complaints in some ways about the, the concept of film music and that it can be used to drive the viewer towards a thought, an emotion, a, a view on what they're seeing or what they're experiencing. And yet it's also something that's inherent in the medium of film itself. Do you think there are films or sequences in films that kind of pulled back that I'm using quotes of objective viewpoint of, of music is becomes more appropriate. Hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. I think there are a lot of really great directors who have chosen to omit music at all. So you can actually react as you would in real life. And the more you grow up, the interesting thing about real life is when you see stuff, you know, you're a kid and you see Bambi and the mother dies in Bambi and you hear this music and it's like, oh, that's what happens when someone dies. Like a string orchestra comes in and it lets you, it, it gives you permission to feel sad. And then when that happens in real life, there's no string orchestra. And because you are not emotionally directed in the same way, the emotions can be a lot more complicated and the emotions can be a lot more difficult to understand or even identify. It's a very different way of trying to artistically convey emotion if you take music out of the system. I think one of the approaches Yorgos and I had for this, and this is one of the things I think we really noticed we had in common when we started talking about just, you know, art and music and stuff in general. We really like humor. We really like jokes. And I think they're a deceptively extremely aggressive and powerful artistic tool. And and basically a lot of the ways in which the music's deployed in this film is either to kind of slightly subvert what you're seeing mm -hmm. or to exaggerate it so far that actually it takes on a different meaning. I don't think there are many points where it's just kind of complimenting it for you and kind of giving you the answers. I think it does alter the meaning, yeah, by contradiction or by exaggeration. Interesting. And, and it does seem, I, I had read a quote earlier from him about how he wants to use or, or thinks that music in the film should be adding a new element, a new layer. And I think that's how the, 
your music in this film works as well. There are some moments, I think, where it does parallel kind of overtly what's going on with Bella, I think, early on, and then continuously sort of expands in, in what it's doing and its objectives and how it, like you said, complements, subverts, exaggerates. In that sense, because Yorgos is or was editing the film to the music, were there uses of, of your music that when you saw the final cut with it in place that surprised you? There were. At this point, I'm struggling to remember just because the actual <laughs> film is now really irreversibly seared on my brain. The interesting thing is that the biggest pieces of music, the kind of loud, large parts, like, for example, in the middle in Alexandria where she experiences um, or she at least sees kind of horror and suffering for the first time and say towards the end where she's starting to realize about her past life and and the reasons that her old her mother technically was driven to suicide these were parts i think actually we had a pretty strong consensus early on that they needed something really quite aggressive quite mm -hmm. powerful something that kind of goes beyond just a kind of dramatic scoring it's trying to actually like drill in this experience and it the more it gets to those parts of her experience, the more the music becomes less musicy and more actually really just a, I don't know, just this like sonic embodiment of these really deep, deep lurching feelings. And I think, yeah, there, there are some interesting, and he's, you know, been a great music editor in the past with the scores he's chosen. But I think we were really on the same page about what emotions need to be conveyed in what way at what points and it runs the gamut all the way from something which i think is very naive and sweet and cute and some of the pieces of music i feel very paternal towards just because you know i love cute music and i think that some of the bits like where max you know is falling in love with bella and you know eventually asks her to marry him at the beginning and there's this little thing with just some bells bending around and some voices which it still lifts my heart despite the fact I've heard it like a million times. And then we're going all the way from that to like a no you know, noisy then, which is basically just the sound of something destroying itself. There's so much, yeah, there's so much emotion and, and uh, such a range of emotion in such depth throughout the whole thing. We basically just did agree on what needed to be there to furnish it. On that point, talking about some of the, the more destructive sounds, one that really grabbed me recently was listening to the cue Alfie, I think, where the end mm -hmm. of that really can leave the realm of music in one sense, and it, it gets just to this like grating, punishing sound. And so what was the instrumentation for those moments in particular? Yeah, we did a lot of weird stuff with the instruments. I mean, what uh, a thing I wanted to do early on, and this came a bit from doing a bunch of historical medical research there's a really great library in london called the welcome collection and they have a lot of great documents around here and i was going to there from the script and from the book to try and have a think about different things to do with orchestration and instruments and effects and processing so we, we decided i decided early on to have every instrument recorded totally separately mm. and what that allows you to do as well as spend roughly five times as long making it as you need to is to have total control over the sound of every single bit, even the really orchestral kind of big sounding moments. It's all a single person in a room at a time. And you have infinite ability to kind of surgically alter the sounds. And so in a lot of places, 
the sounds that sound like a high-pitched instrument or a very low-pitched instrument that's been brought all the way up. And a lot of the bass sounds are oboes or flutes that have been like plummeted down. And even at the less extreme points, the intended effect is that you ha- there's something kind of warm and familiar to an extent, but similarly to kind of encountering Bella, it's like, oh, here's someone who's very beautiful and charming and odd, but and everyone falls in love with her so easily because that's her character. But everyone, you can tell everyone in the back of their heads is like, there's something really, and it's, you know, this primordial response, like something's really off. And this kind of goes through the whole film. So having the instrumentation be both lovable and attractive, mm. but also have this offness and trying to swap things around and subvert some familiar sounds goes towards that. And with the more intense and horrifying moments, part of that was also down to just getting stuff that you'd be familiar with and then twisting it in a way that would, I think on a subconscious level, really makes your gut turn. When it seems like that can be so much of effective film music is things that are acting in the subconscious I particularly enjoy when music or instrumentation takes what we're familiar with and maybe subverts it or changes it, manipulates it, turns it into some deranged form of that that maybe we still slightly recognize, maybe in the front of our brain or the back of it, and it just changes your relationship to that music, that instrument. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's another great thing about film as well, compared to a lot of art forms, it's multiple art forms in dialogue. So the the way in which they, you know, relate to each other is as much a statement as the content of each level is. And so we're, we're just about out of time. I, I do want to ask one broader, hopefully easier question. So this being your debut film score, is this a medium that you want to continue working on? Maybe it's only when something like this, again, the the right project, the perfect project comes along. Yeah, it'd be nice to do some more stuff. It's been quite fun. It's been quite fun. I'd give it another go. Why not? <laughs> good. Well, I, I hope so. It's Obviously, it's always good hearing new voices, but especially when they're doing something different and something strange and something that pushes the boundaries of what typical or expected film music might be. So I'm hoping so as well. Sure, and no, I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. Of course. Well, Driskin, thank you so much for, for joining me today, for chatting a bit about the score. I'm uh, I'm hoping that, to be honest, it's not, you know, the unnecessarily a, a billion-dollar blockbuster mass appeal film, but hopefully quite a few people got to see it because I think it's it's just incredibly interesting. Sure, me too, me too. Thanks so much. All right, well, thank you.